0: Michael, thank you so much for joining the show. Uh, it's such an honor to have you here. I'm so excited to talk to you about Added Health and I'm sure the audience is too. And um, so first off, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Nick, it's a real pleasure and great talking with
0: you. Thank you. Um, so, Michael, uh, before we jump into about Added Health and, and what you're doing with the company and all the origin story, et cetera, I'd love to first just ask you a little bit more about yourself and um, you know, your background before your story with added health, uh, who is Michael? What have you done before and how did you end up transitioning into the space that you're in now?
1: Um, that, that's a really interesting question. Um, uh, and how long have you got, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll go for the cliff
0: notes version, <laughs> the, the cliff notes version.
1: yeah. Uh, I'm, um, a medical doctor by training, um, and then did a degree in medical biochemistry followed by a doctorate in physiological sciences at the university of Oxford. Uh, Then was an academic, a junior research fellow at Trinity College, Oxford, and then accidentally found myself as a healthcare entrepreneur and cutting a very long story short through both success and failures, realized that there was a real problem with the world of healthcare. So I feel I've gone full circle, come back, uh, having gone on a journey, a great journey of magnificent experiences, um, everything from meeting Nelson Mandela, having breakfast with Desmond Tutu. Um, meeting some fantastic mentors along the way. But it's all brought me here to to actually develop develop and deliver added health. Um, The background story to that is one of my best friends, a brilliant physician scientist um, here in Oxford, uh, Dr. Satish Keshav, dying suddenly of a a, a massive heart attack. And that was my wake-up call as a doc. I was being the CEO of a biotechnology company at the time and realized that digging into the research so dusting off my physiological sciences uh, background, realized that there was huge amounts of information in the health world that just wasn't seeing the light of day because it didn't have a financial driver. And there was huge amounts of misinformation uh, on top of that for various reasons, which we can go into. But the essence of it, that that what I'm doing now is really my, my absolute bliss. Um, and it, I feel like everything I've, that has gone before has prepared me for this this business um, and the most important business of my life.
0: Thank you for that, Michael. Um, yeah, you know, before this call, obviously I did some research into the company and and I read of the passing of your friend and how that was sort of a, a starting point uh, for this journey. Um, I'm very sorry for a loss. And I, I think that, um, you know, from that pain, obviously something really quite special is being created through Added Health. Just before we get into Added Health, You were saying that you've previously been a CEO of a biomedical firm, is that correct? Uh, Biotech, yeah. Biotech. Uh, What um, is the situation with that company, or have you moved on entirely from that company?
1: I've moved on entirely from that company. Um, It was something where I was helping. When I came back, I I got married um, about 12 years ago now and have have, had kids and took some time out, having exited from a previous company, we sold something called the Map of Medicine, which we we had developed for the National Health Service here in the UK, and that was a great exit to the Hearst Corporation, and so I was just taking time out, got married, had kids, Um, and essentially, um, you know, I I was moved back to Oxford because it's a wonderful place to live, it's a great place to bring up children, Uh, it's also got a fantastic academic environment, the intellectual stimulation is phenomenal. Um, so we came back, um, and when we came back, essentially, the uh, the the, uh, the environment was um, you know you ready if you like. There's there was a lot of entrepreneurial activity here, and I was helping the University of Oxford with a spin out, and through that ended up helping the University of Helsinki with a spin out, and that was called valor Therapeutics. So I helped them set that up, help, uh, and so I then became the the first CEO, if you like, uh, the interim CEO, Um, but about a year before I was intending to finish, Satish, my friend, died and realized that I really needed to do something that really used my expertise to solve a real problem in the world, and that is the misinformation around health and also helping people really care about their health before they get sick, before they break. So it's all about prevention being better than cure, of course. And so the, so I basically managed, we're very fortunate with the timing, we managed to recruit my replacement CEO, the brilliant Paul Haim, um, um, just around the time of the COVID lockdowns. Um, so, uh, so, and so he came on board essentially around March, April and by June, 2020, he was already in place. Uh, and I was able to then start really focusing on, on added health.
0: Okay. Amazing. Very interesting. Okay, so then getting into added health, um, for those who don't know, as an overview of what the product and service is,
1: how would you describe it? Yeah, in a nutshell, it's evidence-based coaching for health. So it's really helping people with behavior change, because fundamentally, the real issue is how do you change the habits of a lifetime? Um, Because we're all living lifestyles that are not optimally healthy. So we've set up a business that really helps people, helps them identify the issues that they see as an issue for them at that point in their life. And we also see it as a lifelong journey because, of course, we have different healthcare needs as we go through life, you know, for women and for men hitting menopause or manopause and so on. So that in a nutshell is what it's about. It's really helping people wake up to... The opt, how, how to help them optimize their health for the long term
0: mm-hmm. I
1: see Um, how
0: would you <laughs> I, I like to always ask about markets, the size of a market and the size of a problem, how do you quantify or qualify this problem and the, and the size of it because uh, you know I I agree with you from what I see and from what I know myself there are certainly problems that exist throughout especially the western world with regard to our health and I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on, on on that and unpacking that a little bit more. But as a overall market that you're looking to target,
1: how, how do you quantify that? Yes, yeah, so the health and wellness market, uh, McKinsey, there was a report from McKinsey a couple of years ago now, uh, which estimated it as over $1.5 trillion as a market. Um, and that sits alongside the much, much larger healthcare market, which is a globally a $10 trillion market. Um, it's, it's probably the single largest market in the world. Uh, just in the United States alone, it's it's over three trillion dollars uh, in terms of spending a year. So we're dealing with huge numbers now. The big difference between the healthcare market and the health and wellness market is one is regulated and the other one isn't. And therefore, the health and wellness market is essentially the wild west. People can make claims and you know say things that are completely um, you know well what I call half truths. I'll give you a good example of a half truth. So some years ago, everyone was told or felt that it was healthy to drink a couple of glasses of red wine in the evening, each night. You, you may remember the, I, the I, buzz I, around that and everyone was like, oh, great.
0: So there's some health advice I like to take on
1: board and practice myself. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but What you wouldn't have been aware of was that the drinks industry cherry picked one panel of information out of six panels in the actual research. And the rest of the panel, the other five panels, didn't show that it was at all safe to drink two glasses of red wine a night. In fact, it's clearly bad for you to drink two glasses of red wine a night. There's lots of other evidence to show that there isn't actually a safe limit to alcohol. It is a toxin. It is processed in the liver as a toxin. And therefore, you want to actually minimize that amount you drink. Now, clearly, people want to have a drink or two. And clearly, it wouldn't be sensible for anybody to say, Oh, stop drinking, you know. <laughs> and that's not what it's about. It's about knowing the information that actually, even seven units, in other words, one unit a week uh, is oh, sorry, one unit a day is not good for you. But working with it with that knowledge and saying, Well, actually, this is a special occasion, I'm going to have a drink, or, actually I'm gonna have one unit, I understand the risk, but I'm actually still gonna enjoy that glass of wine because it de-stresses me at night. And actually, you, and, you know, so it's that kind of information that, you know, taking that two glass of red wine a night and making people realize that what it did was, there was just one panel where it showed in all the data that it delayed a heart attack, all right? But if you looked at heart failure, it's a straight line curve. That you know, one drink drives heart failure, essentially. I mean, obviously the risks are very, very, very small when you're drinking less than seven units a week. And they go start going up to 14, which is now the NHS safe limit. But in fact, we would argue that let people decide what's their safe limit, but with good quality information, knowing that actually it's a driver of dementia, uh, and other horrible conditions. Yes, uh, yes. It's every
0: under the sun from what I read. Y- yes,
1: yes. So we definitely don't want to be killjoys. We want to, people to really live the most vibrant life they can, but to empower people with the information and knowledge that, to, so that they can make the decisions in a sensible way that suits their lifestyle. So how does
0: added Health go about doing that? If I'm a, if I'm sure. a, a interested user of the the product and the service, how do you facilitate that that solution
1: so we ask you to fill in a questionnaire and the questionnaire is both about your medical history and your medical conditions but also your lifestyle so we're bringing those two together because typically when you go to the doc they won't ask you a lot about your lifestyle because they don't have time you know the average gp consultation in the nhs uh, is about 8.2 minutes you know actual Interaction time, right? Uh, they're ten-minute slots, but the amount of time you get to the doc averages eight point two minutes, and simply, you know, that's just not enough time to really go into someone's lifestyle. The other thing that's changed is that it used to be that you had your GP that was your family GP that knew you from when you were born, and then stayed with you your whole life. That's gone out the window. You know, it's very rare. You speak to most of our clients; it's very seldom that they see the same GP from one consultation to the next. So even though they might have have somebody in name looking after them, they're actually not seeing the same person each time. And so we lose that longitudinal record, if you like, where you really build up a picture about someone and you understand who they are as a person. And so we're trying to get back to that model. We're trying to recapture that and allow people to feel like, by giving us that information through that online questionnaire, We really learn about them. And then a doc always reviews, an actual medical doctor will review that questionnaire and work with a coach, the lifestyle coach, who may be a nutritionist or an exercise person, depending on what you've identified as the things that you want to work on. So we help people identify their goals, whatever those goals may be in terms of their life and lifestyle and their health aims, but recognizing that so much of someone's health is not just in the body, but also in the mind. But we start with people with the body, because if the body is, you know, causing issues, you really got to address that. Um, there's a, a great book called The Body Keeps the Score by der Kalk. I don't know if you know it. But essentially, you know, the body can become diseased, um, and often the disease is driven by the disease in the mind. So it's those two factors that go together that we need to address. And most people come to us with a specific problem that they're looking to address, whether it's losing weight or they've got a bit of arthritis and they've heard that we've got a good diet to help them with arthritis and so on. The essence of it is we meet you wherever you are. There isn't one size fits all. There isn't a program that's, you know, it's always specific to you depending on what's going on in your life. And so that, and then you get assigned the coach. So the doc will review the questionnaire. you be assigned the appropriate coach And they will work with you to identify where you want to go, what kind of journey you want to go on and help you. We all reach crossroads in life. And then it's the question of like, which path do I take? And it's great to have someone in your pocket online, ready to help you with those decisions. And knowing that 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 coach is highly trained in a technique, a proprietary to ourselves to help you make decisions, basically, and evoke from you where you want to go rather than being the classics of a more medical dictatorial model, like, Oh, you smoke, stop smoking. That, that doesn't work. We, you know, it's all about discovering the hero inside yourself. And that's a big part of our job is actually evoking and waking you up to your potential, your true potential. We all have incredible potential, Nick, as you'll, as you'll know, and it's uncovering that genius for you and helping you go on that, that hero's journey. So that's really what makes us a bit special, we think.
0: I love it. Uh, Yeah, I I love everything you're saying, Michael. Uh, And there's so much to unpack here. Where to jump in? Um, One thing that, as you're talking, jumps out to me is uh, this this approach that you have uh, with your. I don't know whether to call them customers or clients. uh,
1: What would be the most appropriate term for your? Uh, We call them clients uh, because it's a little bit more formal than a, a customer. Feels more like. The supermarket customer, we we want to give them that prof- our, our clients that professional respect because we are we you know we regard ourselves as professionals and and we regard everybody um, that has has that due due uh, respect. I think yes,
0: it's not just a transaction; it's a relationship by the sounds of it. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, this methodology that you have um, created. Where did that come from? Because this doesn't sound like anything that I can even think of in, well, the NHS system, uh, which I've experienced before in the past. And actually, you know, from uh, I'm Irish, I've I've grown up in a, in a different system, but I've never seen anything um, quite like what you're describing. And I'm very intrigued as to how you've you formulated this.
1: Yeah, so we we've been really lucky in being able to identify. And the masters of a particular technique that we've then adapted for this particular use case. So we work with a guy called Steve Rolnick, uh, and Steve is the distinguished professor at the University of Cardiff, and he's the co-founder and the main driving force behind something called motivational interviewing. Um, motivational interviewing in terms of behavior change has been validated in over 200 clinical trials. So it's quite unusual in that it's a technique that's actually had formal clinical trials done in it and it it works and it works for a wide array of things some things it doesn't work for but that's quite rare most behavior change or lifestyle habits whether it's smoking or you know um, you know uh, drinking alcohol or whatever it is it's been shown to help people uh, develop better habits and let go of the old bad habits and so steve is an absolute master of that technique. Now it's widely used. In fact, the experience you might have had in the NHS was somebody trained in motivational interviewing because it is widely used. It's probably the most widely used technique across the NHS and globally. Um, Steve, and so the way I got found, Steve was he is very good friends with my co-founder, uh, Professor Chris Butler, who of course is the one of the professors of primary care here at the University of Oxford. So uh, I'm not at the university, but I'm. Here in Oxford uh, is where I, you know, I'm, I've sort of gone back to my alma mater roots. <laughs> it's a great place to live. <laughs> um, but essentially, um, Chris introduced me to Steve a while back, and we've been talking for a while, and then he agreed to become our head coach, and has de- is and we have developed a coach training course with Steve um, specific to our needs and specific to the platform on which the whole uh, system runs. Um, so it's always human-led. That's really key. So you hear a lot about AI and ChatGPT and Bard from Google and so on. The key about all of those um, technologies that mimic intelligence, but aren't actually intelligent, right? They, they're they brilliant at mimicking intelligence. They can come up with some extraordinary things and they can be used to assist coaches in the background, but they can't replace that human interaction. That, that one-to-one human interaction, I think is really the sacrosanct part of coaching, if you like. And if and so that's really where we focus our attention is really training our coaches to be fantastic in evoking change for the individual in whatever the circumstance.
0: I just want to focus a little bit more on that because I find it very interesting what you're talking about with respect to AI. And I, I can see a lot of people talking about AI as if it is a... Uh, and there's a perfect word uh, considering talking to a doctor. A panacea is being seen as a panacea for all sorts of problems, all sorts of industries, and every sort of use case. And I I worry a little bit uh, as uh, you know, I've been a bit of patient in the past. Um, and I worry a little bit that you know that human touch could be lost if we if we AI our way a little bit too far, perhaps in the medical field. And I'm wondering, is this a concern of yours? Then in in your, you've spoken, you've said a couple of times now. About how human um,
1: involved uh, added health is 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 that a concern for you? Um, I wouldn't call it a concern. I'd call it an opportunity. Um, we definitely see it as a way of helping our coaches become more efficient. Um, but the key, the key, key, key is that ChatGPT, for example, cuts off at twenty twenty one. We've been very fortunate because I have a uh, we have a wonderful. Uh, a friend, and advisor, um, who's the global head of innovation at Microsoft, Neil Jordan. And so I was aware, he made me aware of uh, OpenAI and ChatGPT o- 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 over a year ago. And then, so we've been playing with it, if you like, as, uh, you know, I don't know if early adopter is the right term, because it's just freely available, of course. Uh, but we saw a real sea change in the technology around November and and then thought, wow, that's really interesting. I wonder how we can start to think about using this uh, with our coaching. Um, so it's never. So it, it's really important that we don't lose the human interaction because I think that firstly, ChatGPT cuts off at 2021, so it's never up to date. We we will always be more up to date. The the amount of knowledge and the number of publications in the medical science and the physiological sciences field is just crazy. And so the number of papers that have been published since the cutoff is enormous. And it also doesn't really understand the nuance of certain circumstances. And I'll give you a, an actual example where we had a client who was dropping their um, their VO2 max while doing exercise. Now, if you asked G, uh, Chat GPT, you know, reasons for dropping your VO2 max while exercising, it'll trot out five very correct answers. But it, one of them will be a general thing about your cardiovascular and respiratory health. But it will miss the nuance. And I can't go into the specifics because we also, one of the things we absolutely hold sacrosanct is client confidentiality. But suffice to say, there was something else going on for this client that made total sense for why they would be dropping their their VOT max while jogging, which had nothing to do with the reasons that chat GPT gave. And so we were able to advise that client to go back to their GP to get a blood test done, which identified the problem correctly. And then we could intervene with, as it turned out, uh, a nutritional intervention. So, so that's one example. And, the, and, and there will be lots. Um, you know, so the the other one is where it's just ChatGPT or I uh, have no doubt that the same will apply to BARD, Google BARD, where they, it won't just, it just can't keep up to date uh, in the same way. And it can't understand all the various connections because it relies on the next words connection. So the actual AI, the ChatGPT, the, the underlying machine learning model is uh, very specific. Uh, so it's not um, domain specific. Um, so you you start to get into trouble if you're uh, an, what what I'd call a non-expert user, trying to ask it questions in a way that's generic or general, but not understanding the nuance of the physiological sciences underneath it. Does that make sense?
0: It does, it does. Thank you, Michael. Um, so then when we consider added health and this package that you've put together and you know, you're leveraging in some ways, or in the background you can leverage AI, but again, human focused, um, and when I was looking through the website and the offerings that you have, a lot of it seems to me to be about um, um, diet. There's a kind of fitness there as well, and then you were touching upon a mindset and and you know being all that you know we can be. We've all got kind of greatness inside of us. Um, if I'm signing up to the 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 service, uh, is it in that initial consultation that this package of services or this the the uh, which strain or which stream of of um, your service that you then plug into into Nick, for example?
1: Yes. Um, so it's very much about where you want to start. Um, and so we may have an opinion. You might, we, and this happens fairly frequently, that someone puts in their drinking, you know, 15 or 16 units of alcohol a week, but they haven't flagged it as an issue for them. Then there's no point in saying to someone, oh, you know, <laughs> you've got to gently take people through the process because this person say wants to lose some weight. If they want to lose weight, of course, reducing your alcohol intake as part of that is important. So you frame it in that sense um, and you take someone on a journey. And so that particular issue around weight loss might be around food diet, but it also might be around exercise and just movement. And, um, but often, 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 often it's about mindset And for example, a lot of people do what's called comfort eating. So you then got to work out, well, why are you comfort eating? And so that then goes into the what we call the the mental well-being pillar uh, and then unpacking and helping someone identify, well, why are they comfort eating? What's driving that? And getting to know that person, understand their drivers and getting and helping them identify those drivers in themselves. that's, That's the real secret sauce, so to speak. When you can when someone identifies, ah, so you, we can have an opinion, but we will keep that opinion to ourselves because it's not relevant. There's nobody who knows you, Nick, like you. <laughs> not even your mother. <laughs> 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 this is very interesting,
0: I, and it makes me um, think about the longevity of, of a um, client base. Um, you know, this is not a quick fix. Um, the Issues that people, uh, it appears, the issues that people are coming to you with, um, are ingrained. Uh, they didn't happen overnight, and therefore they're not going to be fixed overnight. So, typically, then, how long do your clients stay with you?
1: Well, we, we to be frank, we don't know yet because we've okay. only really launched in January. So, okay. it's a it's journey we're on. Yeah, um, we had uh, a number of what we'd call our alpha clients who started. A couple of years ago, actually, the very first client started two and a half years ago. Fascinating. Um, And that's when we knew we were onto something because it was someone who I knew a colleague and, you know, they had a number of medical conditions, uh, including high blood pressure. They were on four different medications. And, you know, after six months, they were off two of the medications. And then after nine months, they were off all their medications. And I got a call from their GP saying, (laughs) "What, what are you doing? Uh, and that was a wonderful conversation to have because at, at that point, two and a half to two to two years ago, you know, we were just starting out. And, uh, you know, so that individual client actually ended up, you know, he's still with us. Um, so that's two and a half years on. And most of our early clients, in fact, I'm trying to think if we've lost any of our early clients. I don't think so. Um, so we, you know, we we start off with a, a hundred, about a hundred clients and you know. Just testing the systems, making sure that you know we were robust and most importantly that we were safe um that, that's key and and the and effective, and that we were always able to respond to people in the appropriate kind of way um was really important to us so so we we don't know in terms of the the people that we you know who are not people that we knew, because of course these were generally the first cohort of clients were people that we knew. And now we're taking on people that we've no idea who, who who they are when they meet. We we meet them for the first time, uh, and so that's exciting. And so far, um, we're having really terrific results uh, because some of them started before the launch in January. We we signed up our our first corporate client uh, before uh, January, and so we've been working with them for the last three months. And in that short period of time, and I I stress it's a short period of time because we want to be with people for life. We see our big differentiators because we meet you wherever you are and things will change in your life. And if you want a trusted set of advisors that are really experienced doctors and coaches in your pocket, we want to be with you for life. We want to add value to you for life. And so, of course, if people pay the subscription, an annual subscription, we hope they would see that value for life. And key Kijas is making it accessible to to, to as many people as we possibly can. Um, as as docs, we really want to make sure it's accessible. And so a large part of what we're doing is making, well, not right now, but we will in the next few months, make key content freely available. And so that if you connect it to us, you just give us your email, and we'll send you and of course, you can always unsubscribe at any time, we'll always send you the information that's contemporary, that's in, in the world today where you might have read in a particular newspaper, oh, you can drink two glasses of red wine. <laughs> well, we'll go a little bit deeper for you, but put it in terms that are completely understandable and saying, ah, we think our opinions that data has been cherry picked. We think that that's been driven by an industry that's making money from selling you stuff. Another good example would be there are a lot of docs around the world and these are medical colleagues around the world selling liposomal vitamin C. You go what is liposome yeah that was <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> turn is going next <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and essentially it's vitamin c package in liposomes which means when you 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 swallow the tablet it's much more rapidly absorbed okay i mean that's really the the only difference and so you reach a quite a high level of vitamin c in your blood yeah. Now, is that important um, well not at all, because in <laughs> fact, vitamin C. Any excess, you only need a relatively small amount of vitamin C. Um, like you know, if you eat an apple or an orange, or you know, squeeze a bit of lemon juice, you're getting a good dose of vitamin C on a daily basis. Um, you know that old dictum of an apple a day keeps the doctor away. I think is still holds mainly around things like vitamin C and other phytonutrients. But but the bottom line is that you spend you know a liposomal vitamin C is expensive. And I I tell clients, well, you that thirty uh, pounds a, a month you're spending, um, of that thirty pounds you're probably uh, weighing out in your urine, twenty nine pounds fifty. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> you know, and so our store, the added health store, which we don't have yet, but we are really thinking about developing a store because so many of our clients, you know, want us to, to advise them about which supplement and which device, you know, for blood pressure should we buy and so on. In our store, when you click liposomal vitamin C, it'll direct you to your supermarket to buy oranges. <laughs> <laughs> smart move. Very
0: smart move. This is, um, just to go back on, on something you were talking about there. Um, and it, it, it's about how you, how you find clients or probably a better way of phrasing this is how clients find you. Um, how has that happened traditionally? I'm really intrigued about that. And then what are your plans? In addition to the content that you're going to be putting out there, and that will add as act as something of a lead generation um, conduit for yourselves, what is your sort of go-to-market plan? How How is it that you intend to attract more clients?
1: Right, so we're not doing direct-to-consumer. I mean, if someone comes through the consumer route by word of mouth, terrific. We'll onboard them, you know, we'll do the safety checks and make sure it's appropriate and and then and then help them. Um, but our go-to-market is through B2B. We we engage with corporates uh, in the health and well-being space. And of course the head of HR is the director, the HR directors are inundated with because there are literally thousands, thousands of these products out there. Um, and you know, and and they all you know trying to go to the HR director, the way we differentiate ourselves is that we are regulated. So we have taken the trouble as docs to actually be able to offer people screening and diagnostic services. So I'm really pleased as of actually just uh, last week, we put that in place and we've got a, a fantastic lab service that we're using to provide the service. And that's a regulated service. And as part of that, we're also able to offer, of course, medical advice, which really differentiates us as a health and wellness coaching business, because the core to our business is that behavior change and it's that it's health and wellness. Um, So we are competing in an incredibly noisy marketplace, but we differentiate ourselves with um, being regulated. That's fascinating.
0: Who are you?
1: HR director goes, ah, these, these people have, you know, we literally wrote had to write 283 pages of protocols and procedures uh, to show the regulator that we're bona bonafide and that we know what we're doing and that we can provide a service that is is from their perspective safe and our, of course our perspective is safe effective responsive caring and that we're well there those are the five key criteria to be to be regulated you're
0: primarily then targeting not the average consumer it's it's companies who you're going after so then you have a, a business development team who are establishing these contracts for. Are these are these very large companies or are these SMEs? What kind of size customer are they?
1: To start, to start, it's the SMEs because we want to walk before we can run. So okay. We can't realistically onboard ten thousand, you know, employees from a big company. Um, so we're going for companies that have got anything between five clients to a thousand clients, and we know that of that clientele, of those that employee base, that, I, I actually said clients, I meant employees, that of that base, we know that to start, a very high proportion take up the service. So we know that that's actually some, because a lot of times, you know, the benefits folks, you know, a lot of companies have uh, benefits platforms where uh, um, their employees can pick and choose. And so, you know, oftentimes, you know, you're lucky to get a five or 10% uptake, whereas we're getting 25, 30% uptake, which is. Direct. Wow.
0: Do you see yourself as complementary to the NHS system and the regular system of the general practitioner? Uh, and if you do, how do you work with them?
1: Absolutely. We see ourselves as complementary. We actually set up the business with that in mind. And hence, we went the regulated route because we want our medical colleagues to know that we are taking the the evidence and applying it appropriately and that and that we regulated. And so we see ourselves very much sitting alongside. And our real long term vision is to create a completely new model of care uh, for the UK with the NHS, as well as globally. We have real ambition around this because we really feel that there's a huge problem. And it's a global problem. Your heart, in Ireland is the same heart as the one in the UK. It's the same heart as the one you know, in Cape Town or in New York or in Bangladesh. Wherever that heart is, it's the same heart and it's running basically on a very similar model. There's all sorts of cultural nuance and belief system around that, which is important. To, but there's certain fundamentals about how the body and mind works. And so we see this as a completely global problem. And therefore there's a real opportunity to for a global solution to emerge a trusted brand that people know are in their pocket and that's on their side, 100%, no conflicts of interest. So our docs will never go on a a pharmaceutical industry-sponsored golf trip, for example, just as one example. Or we won't do certain things with certain companies. um, And none of our medical advisors and our editorial board um, will have undisclosed uh, influences. Or oh, You know, that's the big issue, the reason that this hasn't ever been solved, and why it's an, an ongoing problem, where well, if you look at the NHS, which really should be the ultimate in the National Health Service, it really, really struggles, because it's a political football. And of course, there's huge amounts of lobbying into into the political arena. So, you know, I won't mention names, but there's certain former secretaries, home office secretaries who've been lobbyists for the alcohol industry, you know, right, right inside the cabinets, you know. Um, and so it's a real, real issue. Um, that, you know, we should absolutely be having policy, health policy that's very different to what we have today. And that's worldwide, just because. It's a bit like it's smoking in the tobacco industry back in the day before that huge class action lawsuit changed everything. But even today, there are large numbers of countries that still allow smoking advertising, you know, and 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 don't prevent it from being advertised to to kids, you know. Um, or if you look at you know the nicotine and the vaping, clearly there's some health issues around that. Um, but the bottom line is that we want to be that. That really trusted source, and we're going to have to earn that—that um, that, that trusted voice that is in your pocket to look after you for the long term, and because you can't rely on a lot of the information that's out there. You know, this whole area is unregulated, health and wellness. So you you can advertise liposomal vitamin C, and you can make the claim because it's true that it's more rapidly absorbed. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's not that's what I call a half-truth, right? Um, because you're actually wasting, you know, the vast majority of the money you're spending on that rather than just eating a healthy diet that's full of vitamin C anyway. So there's only a few circumstances where you really need to supplement with vitamin C. And when when those circumstances arise with our clientele, we'll tell that that individual that's the case. But for the vast majority of people, just eating a healthy diet full of fresh. Veg and and some fruit, you know, is, is more than you need. So that's where we're really heading, Nick. We we see ourselves as the an emergent brand that will earn people's trust and be able to communicate with people in a clear way using animations and uh, graphics that really explain the nub of the issue to them. Uh, a little bit around, for example, that going back to that comment about the two glass of red wine being good for you, you know, and showing people, well, (laughs) if, if you really need that two glasses of wine, because you're incredibly stressed, and you're otherwise going to, you know, put your blood pressure up and have a stroke, then clearly, it's good for you in that context. But on average, it's probably not, it's not good for you, not not even probably, it's we can say with some certainty now, because there's some really good data that shows that alcohol intake correlates very well with damage to your brain. To, to actually, you know, so over the long term, of course. But, so that's really where we see ourselves going, Nick. Um, okay. Um, D- and we, yeah. Sorry to cut you off. I, I, a question there
0: with regard to your accreditation. Um, Does that mean, and, and forgive me for my ignorance with respect to the NHS system, but does that mean that if patients wanted to or clients of yours wanted to, but patients of in the NHS, if they wanted records to sync, is that
1: possible or is that an intention or how does that work? That's an intention. It's absolutely possible. We're working with two providers at the moment around that. And we know it's technically it's not an issue. Um, It's just a question of whether clients want that to happen or not. Now, I'll give you an example of why that's not high on our priority list. It is certainly something we will do. But a good example of where you get half the story or maybe 10% or 90% of the story, but there's a crucial 10% missing, is that uh, the sexual health Uh, databases of the NHS are not part of your GP record. The mental health records are not part of your GP record unless you actively want them to be. So there's a real issue around not having the whole picture, even though your GP generally has most of the picture, they might not have the whole picture. Um, And so we we feel like we want to be that trusted space where you can come and give us... The, the whole picture is you see it on a given day. Uh, and then with your permission and always only with your express permission as a client, would we then get further information from your GP and vice versa? So for example, there have been many occasions where a client uh, you know, comes to us for a second opinion, for example, about a, something that they've been advised to do. Should I go on the statin or not go on the statin? We will never go against the medical advice, we'll always work alongside the GP. The GP advice is the primary advice. And we what we do is just help the client make sense of that advice sometimes so that they can make a a better decision for themselves in respect of that advice coming with the GP. We will never go against uh, the GP's advice. That's really important. Um, so So just going back to that previous question about whether we work alongside, absolutely. And we see a new care layer where the front end, if you like, to the NHS comes through added health. I know that sounds like a bold statement, but I have previously um, licensed to the NHS something called the map of medicine, which unfortunately, you know, for 10 years, it was nationally licensed. Uh, and then for various reasons, mainly due with the fact that it was acquired by an American company and the NHS, and particularly NICE had issues with it being owned by an American company. Uh, therefore did their own version of it. And of course, not as well as you could do in the private sector. And of course, long story, but essentially I'm a passionate supporter and believe in their national health service. I'm a patient myself, as well as having trained in the NHS. Um, So I'm a big believer in it and I really want to see it succeed. Uh, But there's certain parts of it that don't and shouldn't be delivered by the NHS and the private sector is more innovative, more passionate, if you like, about a particular thing, um, has got more expertise, uh, particularly around the tech side, and so can deliver a platform that is the care layer for the NHS, that then helps the NHS, because we start to help people be healthier versions of themselves. Now, the NHS is trying to do it, but it's hamstrung by policy, as we talked about before, right? And it's hamstrung by working in silos. And because it's an incredibly large organization with over a million employees, it's very, very hard uh, to implement something that goes across the whole piece, as it were. Um, and so our view is that the NHS would do really well to publish a set of standards for the care layer that people can then compete to provide. And so to maintain that competition and that quality of service against a standard set by the NHS. The NHS should can and uh, in my view should focus really on um, the, the disease. So once you've broken and you need to be fixed, and particularly whatever that is, that's that's really where the NHS is phenomenal. So, you know, I myself, you know, I have a genetic condition that runs in our family to do with a detached retina. I detach my retina. I have private health insurance, I went straight to the NHS. The reason I went straight to the NHS. Because I know that they, they're not financially incentive to offer me stuff I don't need. And I knew that they would do a great job, and they did. And it was fantastic. Um, and then I, you know, so that's just, you know, I'm totally passionate about I put my body I can uh, see where it. my mouth is. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do also know where the problems are having implemented the Map of Medicine for the NHS nationally for England and Wales uh, from 2005 to 2015. Um, And that was, I think it was the only homegrown product. I developed that with UCL and uh, Dr. Owen Epstein and myself. um, And we developed that uh, essentially with smart algorithms. We call them clinical thought flows, how you think about a particular problem if you're a doc. And the idea was a knowledge skin wrapping around electronic medical records. So the GP could suspect the diagnosis. We weren't trying to be the GP and the differential diagnosis was in the GP's mind, they knew what they wanted to confirm or refute. So it was, say, for example, a suspected deep vein thrombosis. because somebody had got off a long old flight and they had a swollen left leg, there were others as well, like right? suspected DVT, deep vein thrombosis, the idea of the MAP was to help them confirm or refute the diagnosis quickly and then for them to be able to click the refer button if it was and that the referral was in the context of a of a, of a flowchart of a MAP that we called a MAP of Medicine. So the idea was a knowledge skin. Unfortunately, because the NHS shut down the contract in 2015 and couldn't ever replace it because they couldn't actually reverse engineer it the way we had done on the technology side, um, it, 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 it's you know, not not available anymore. Uh, but, but so my point about why I'm making the point is that I have a lot of experience of working with the NHS and I understand the NHS very well having being trained in the NHS but also then being a supplier to the NHS and my my sense is that what we're really missing is that the added health care layer that looks after people in the long term and then refers them in when there's a problem and it's re-establishing that old model of that family doctor who's with you for life and that's really what we'd love to do we'd love to be part of that solution. For the NHS here, but also globally, we think there's a real, real need uh, in other markets too.
0: I love it, Michael. With regard to your team, then, um, you've mentioned a, a couple of other uh, doctors and and professors. Um, in addition to them, is there a sort of a, a more business team or a technology team that's involved as well, or or how is that structured?
1: Yeah, so we we have a fantastic CTO, uh, Lorenzo Wood. Who's the former global CIO of Publicis Sapient, one of the top three digital marketing companies in the world? Lorenzo was one of the key architects of the map of medicine. But he was the, the, the guy who actually designed the editing tool, which really was made, which what made it really work. Um, and so I've known Lorenzo for oh, many years. So I think, yeah, probably 20 years now. And um, it was just one of those wonderful magical moments because I knew, you know, once Chris and I, we both knew that. We needed a phenomenal team to take this on. And the first person I thought of was Lorenzo. So I was r- literally writing an email a couple of years ago to Lorenzo when my phone went and it was from Lorenzo saying, Hey, Mike, what's up? <laughs> like, what's happening? Which <laughs> was code for Lorenzo going, I'm, I think I'm bored out of my mind now with what I've been doing. <laughs> I want the next challenge. Uh, because Map of Medicine was a great, you know, it was a great journey. And, you know, commercially, it was a success, a great success. It, it sort of helped UCL clear their, their, their deficit. They were a charity deficit. It was a great, but unfortunately, it, you know, it wasn't a great success for me personally, because uh, I wanted to, this to be the knowledge skin for the world. Um, and, you know, clearly starting with the NHS. Um, and then the realization when you're dealing with very large corporations and, The the internal politics, clearly, it's not something that, uh, you know, once the NHS said, oh, no, we're going to do our own version, that was the end of that, really. Um, But the the essence is um, that the team, Lorenzo, is a phenomenal CTO. And then we've also got a fantastic operations guy, uh, Gus Schellikens, former partner, EY. Uh, He's done 30 years in all the big four, Deloitte and PwC, et, et, et cetera um and he's you know the kind of person you need he's the operational uh, person within the company a uh, drive driving the business and then i'm of course the the doc the medical doc but also the entrepreneur uh with the passion and really want to hold the vision for the company and you really get it get, get us out into the world we've also got phenomenal marketing talent alana clear uh, she's our cmo um and we've got you know Steve Rolnick, in terms of the coaching, developing the the model to train the trainers, uh, so we've got a a, a wonderful platform, a, a software platform. I can't go into too much detail because a lot of it's you know highly confidential. But essentially, we're building a completely novel. I mean, Lorenzo looked at ninety different coaching platforms out there because we didn't want to build it. We thought, well, let's let's go and find one that's built. Yeah, you know, take it off the you know, shelf. shelf. Yeah, always. But we found there was nothing that was really fit for purpose that would do what we needed it to do. Um, and so the actual part of our secret sauce in the company, besides the coaching and the talent we've got around on the medical side is the actual software is is phenomenal. And that's thanks to Lorenzo.
0: It, that sounds very interesting. And and yeah, that's a, a lot of due diligence uh, and exploration uh, going through 90 different platforms. So well done, Lorenzo. Um, <laughs> And I should say
1: Lorenzo's is a co founder in the business as well. Excellent. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, and you recently raised uh quite a bit of money. Uh what is the plan for that investment now? Uh what are, what is your intention with
1: that? Right. So what we wanted to do with that is to get to product market fit, that that wonderful old uh, saying, but it's very true. And we want to make sure that whatever we do, it's what clients want. Um there's something that you know I learned a long time ago. I think it was from BJ Fogg in Stanford that never try um, sell a product that people, unless they want, actively want that product. Um, so we, we've really designed over the last two and a half years and iterated, and we believe we've got something that people really want. Uh, that's being reflected in the fact that we've now signed up our third corporate client. Excellent. Um, which is terrific. So we feel like we starting to gain momentum and, uh, Yeah, so it's about using that money for driving now really the the sales and marketing side. Um, And we want to get to product market fit before we raise a lot more money to really take it out globally. We want to, you know, one of the things we're not good in the UK doing, uh, Nick, is, you know, Silicon Valley, they give you enough. So if you're the right team, they'll give you enough money. So you really shouldn't fail.
0: Yeah, you break escape Um,
1: velocity. Exactly. Um, And they're fantastic at at doing that. And we just started to learn to do that in the UK. So I'm hoping that uh, we can get to product market fit, show people the excitement, and then you get a few really key investors to go, wow, these guys have got what it takes. They've got product market fit. Let's really back into the hilt and get them out into the world.
0: Awesome. Awesome. That's very exciting. Uh, Michael, this has been great. And I, I love the passion that you brought. Uh, to this space. Um, I think what you're doing is really needed and I'm really glad that there's a, a service out there that which is accredited um, taking care of of clients. Thank you again. Thank you so much for talking to me today about added health. Um, I know that uh, lots of listeners are going to be very interested in what you're doing are going to want to try it out for themselves and I, I think you're taking on a really meaningful uh, and challenging problem and obviously you've put a put together a great team that's very capable of, of executing upon the plans that you have. So I'm really excited to see what happens next. I just want to say thank you again for coming on the show.
1: Nick, it's been a real pleasure and thank, thank you for having me.
0: Thank you. Talk to you soon, Michael. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye.